Motherfucker! Take four! Take four! Take four. Hello, welcome to Misfits on Vinyl. My name is Spencer Stryker. I'm an actor comedian currently suffering from irritable bowel syndrome and one of your hosts. Uh, my name is Aaron Walsh. I am also one of your hosts. Usually I don't give out my last name even though it's everywhere. I always just say I'm Aaron. But yeah. I'm Aaron Walsh. Uh, <laughs> I am one of your hosts. I also possibly could have IBS. You never know. You know what? If your ass exploded like mine. <laughs> so we were going to start it once. And then, uh, and then we fucked up, and then we fucked up a second time, and then the third time I was like, I need to shit, and I jumped up and ran. Yeah. And then uh, I shit for like 15 minutes. I'm no doctor, but that sounds like IBS. Yeah, it was twice. Yeah. Once was not enough. Yeah. Turns out that there was a lot in the chamber. <laughs> nice. That's the chamber start. pot of my gut. <laughs> That's a good start to the podcast. I know, I feel... Uh, we recorded a secret episode while Spencer was <laughs> shitting, uh, which will be out uh, at some point sometime. You know what? Never know. We could add all of the, like... Things like the the Mac Miller episode, that, and a bunch of other things into, like, a bonus episode. Like, we could backlog yeah. an episode of just fucking outtakes. <laughs> Maybe not that one, that one episode where I, I told that very questionable story. Oh, yeah. It did a very questionable impression. We'll keep that one in the chamber. Uh, yeah, the, the that's the same, yeah, same one where I kept saying the person's real name. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was a fucking... It's a weird time for us recording the episode today. It's a Monday. It is a Monday. Uh, I'm in my work attire. That's why I look so prim and proper. I am also in my work attire. <laughs> yeah, drug rug. Nice. Yeah, drug rug. <laughs> nice. Drug rug. I told, uh, I was wearing this at uh, at Shakespeare one time, and mm-hmm. Hazen was like, I like your sweater. I was like, yeah, it's a drug rug. And then he was like, I've never heard it be called that. Really? <laughs> yeah, I thought that that was- uh, like That was r- the name for it, yeah. Uh, yeah. It is a drug rug. It is a drug rug. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. All right. So, <laughs> so uh, okay. Uh, before we get into anything, I have to say, tour dates. Yeah. I got a bunch confirmed. Please get your fucking tickets ASAP. Invermere, May 13th. Uh, May 19th, I'm in Swift Current. May 20th, I'm in Medicine Hat. And then May 27th, I'm in Kelowna. I'm going to be on the island after that. And then uh, there's going to be a bunch of dates after that, but I don't have them figured out yet. So nice. uh, those are those are as of right now. That's the Sad Cry Ha Ha Tour. Come and see it. Very, very nice. going to be fun. One and. Thing, oh, 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 let me let me let me pre- preface this. Yeah. One thing I want to do is I want to do our call to action. Oh, yes. <laughs> because I always fucking forget to do it. I did it in my secret episode uh, <laughs> about 10 minutes ago. So I reminded myself. Uh, if you guys like our podcast, fucking like and subscribe, you know, send us emails, send us DMs. Spencer's on Twitter, I think, so DM Spencer on Twitter. Let us know what albums you want us to review. Let us know if you like us, if you don't like us, if you think we're handsome, if you think we're ugly. We love it all. Give it all to us. You know what? If you want to rate us low, just leave a comment still. Yeah, yeah. Just, that's all you got to do. Just say that we suck. Yeah, it's like we're like a late night McDonald's run. Yeah. It's like you're going and you're not expecting it to be great, but you're still disappointed. And then you end up having yeah. diarrhea like I just yeah. did. Yeah. yeah. And that's how this all kicked off. That's today. how this all kicked it's a full off. Tie. Today. Now. 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 Drum roll, Sam. Uh, 
we have a special announcement. Special, special, special announcement on Friday, 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 April 28th, 27th, 27th, <laughs> 27th at 6 p.m. 6 I thought it was the 28th. It is the 27th <laughs> at 6 p.m. I think it's the 27th. <laughs> We're going to find out I right have to now. double check it now. Somebody look in their calendar. Oh, no. <laughs> at the where, where, at where, the where, where, Calgary where, Comic where, Expo. Where, where, it's the 26th. It's the 26th. <laughs> it's the 26th. All right, Friday the 26th at yes. the Calgary Comic and Entertainment Expo, we are going to be doing our very first Misfits on Vinyl live. It's going to be super fun. Yeah, it's. I'm really excited. There's possibility of some special guests. Yep. If there's no special guests, you're just going to have us two fuckers. And um, you'll get to see Sam Sam the Tech Man well, actually, in person. We're actually Sam's going to cosplay, so we're not, no one's actually going to see Sam. That's... It's going to be fun. We're possibly going to cosplay. We are. We're not going to let you guys know what it's going to be, but it's going to be a lot of fun. We're it's going to be a lot of fun. We're probably going to make up our first little bit of merch and give it out to people. Yep. We're not allowed to give out stickers. That's a no-no. So Wait, no. that's a no-no there? Yeah, it was in your email. Oh, I didn't see that. No stickers allowed. So we're going to maybe make up a shirt or two. I had a great idea of maybe we find a record to give away. We all pitch in on That'd a record, be fun. give away a vinyl. That'd be fun. Um, I, uh, I, I, I know that stickers are not allowed. From the panel. Yeah. But if you see me walking around mm-hmm. and you come up to me, uh, I will give you a sticker. Or after we're done, because after we're done, who gives a fuck? Yeah, who cares? <laughs> who cares who's on next? It's all about us. Yeah, it's all about us. It's, it's going to be a fun weekend. It's going to be a fun weekend. Um, I'm, I'm, I don't know what sort of deal passes-wise we're getting, but we're probably going to hang around at least one or two days at yeah. the Expo. Um, you know, if you want to come see us, come see us. It'd yeah. be a lot of fun to meet some people. I know Spencer meets some people in his travels, but I'm a homebody. Sam's a homebody. I don't know anybody that listens to the podcast, not even my close relatives. I actually so. had I had two people say very nice things about us in the past week. Oh, nice. One uh both were at comedy shows, but one was from somebody who does not listen to the podcast, but mm-hmm. they said uh, you know, uh, I'm impressed with how you guys are constantly like out there mm-hmm. and constantly putting out content uh, because they said, and I quote, you guys are actually a real podcast now. <laughs> nice. And I That's was a like, good feeling. I like that. <laughs> That's a good feeling. And uh, the other one I got was uh, from someone in Airdrie uh, nice. the Saturday night after, after we did the pod, uh, a young kid came up, he was like 18 and he was like, Hey, listen to the pod. Love your shit. And I was like, oh, cool. Thanks. That's really so, cool. So whoever that was in Airdrie, I forget your name. It was, it's been like a week and a half. Uh, <laughs> shout, a lot happening. Shout, shout, shout out, out to you. Shout out to Airdrie as a whole. Airdrie as a whole. Honestly, Airdrie was very fun. Yeah, I, I'm glad. I had good shows there. But um, yeah, no, it's really exciting. I'm excited. You, our single fan in Airdrie, come to the expo. Yeah, come, <laughs> come to the expo. Uh, you can meet not just me, but also Aaron. Yeah, I'll be there as well. I'm probably going to put on my sexiest cosplay. I am also going yeah. to put on my sexiest cosplay so it should be a lot of fun um yeah i'm fucking stoked i'm, <laughs> I'm fucking super stoked. stoked anywho all right so uh the first thing that we got to do yes. before we get into our album this week is our favorite new segment yeah. on the podcast i think we should call it the new segment every single time every single time oh here we go again Right, oh, here so we go, here we go, gotta, here we go again. I gotta play I gotta play the intro for this segment. Yeah. Alright. I forgot what it was. I, I, I remember it.
Sam's Today in Music History. Nice. That. <laughs> I have to get up again. That that only took off about thirty five minutes of my life. You know uh, what? It's like having a hot dog. You know, every time you have a hot dog, it takes seven <laughs> minutes off your life. Every time I play an instrument, it takes off thirty five minutes. Yeah, it's like having like <laughs> what is that? Is it five hot dogs? Yeah, it's like having five hot dogs. I feel like I need a, a handheld instrument mm. for this intro. Mm. I I will bring one next episode. Nice. A triangle. Do you? I have uh, I have one in mind. Uh, a kazoo. Ooh. I think yeah. I'd like to play the triangle. Ooh. I actually, this is a <laughs> very funny story. Um, I used to be in band. Before we start on Sam's music, this is Aaron's music history. Uh, <laughs> I, I was in band. I don't know if I told this story on the podcast or not, but I'm not a good musician. Um, so I was put on percussion. Um, <laughs> so at first I played the bass drum, which was just like fucking smacking it like boom, 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 boom. Boom, which was, you know, I managed that. And then <laughs> I got moved to the xylophone. Did I tell this story? You, di- you didn't get into detail, though. Okay, yeah, so I got moved to the xylophone, um, which I was really bad because I don't know how to do notes in music. I couldn't remember what was what. <laughs> um, so that really sucked. And then I got moved to the cymbals, um, which I just had to crash the cymbals. Uh, which was a lot of fun uh, for me. I was like one of those monkeys that smashed the cymbals. <laughs> Basically me. Um, and <laughs> then I got moved to the triangle. Um, so that was my progression in music. I like how it started with arguably the easiest instrument. Yeah, and it got worse. It got <laughs> they tried me everywhere. But I actually did play the drums when I was younger too, which is the sad part. <laughs> it's like I played a drum kit, <laughs> but I wasn't that good at that either. That's fucking hilarious. Uh, which <laughs> Actually, this, I don't know if my brother will want me to tell the story, but uh, I knew how to play Move Along by the All-American Rejects. Just the start where it's like, boom, 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 And I would just play that and over and on repeat, repeat, repeat in the basement, just smashing the and drums. And then your brother every went day. and put his balls on your drum No, kit. he actually punched a <laughs> hole through the door. Wait, what? Yeah, because I wouldn't shut the fuck up. That's actually kind of amazing. Yeah, he I, punched a hole right through the door. I have to tell you my uh, Spencer music history yes, thing. It's on. a quick one. It involves the kazoo. Mm-hmm. When I was in grade 10, uh, my friend Colton and his dad, Pat, we went to Swift Current. We were at mm-hmm. the PV Mart, and I started following Colton around with the kazoo, just like, all around the store, just, and he started running away from me, so I started running after him. So now we're sprinting through the store, and I'm not even trying to play it anymore. It's just coming through my breath. It's like, anyways. Uh, we come around a corner, and uh, Colton's dad is standing there with, like, one of the employees, mm-hmm. and the employee is, like, some guy in his 40s, and he turns around and just started fucking screaming <laughs> at me. Like, he was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Do you have no fucking respect? And I'm like, not for a PV Mart, really, no. like, of all things. And uh, the whole time, Pat's just like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, nice. kazoo. Shall we get back? Let's on get track? into no, yeah. Sam's today. Sorry, Sam. Sorry, Sam. We we do have the intro. We did. It bring was the it intro. was almost it was almost tomorrow's music history. It, it almost wouldn't shut the fuck up. Okay, Sam's today in music history for April fifth. Let's do it. In nineteen ninety eight, Sam's favorite band, 
the Spice Girls, mm. performed their first ever live UK concert when they appeared in front of 9,000 strong audience in Glasgow, Scotland. Nice. I say favorite because this is the second Spice Girls. Yeah, I was going to say, he had. seems to really like the Spice Girls. <laughs> Spice, uh, Spice for the win. In 1980, a tragedy happened. REM played their first ever gig when they appeared at St. <laughs> Mary's Episcopal Church. Nice. I don't know why you in dislike Athens, REM so much. I fucked up. No, I can't get into this. No. There was a gross Irish lady who I oh, fucked when oh, I was 18, oh, and she that... insisted on playing REM the whole time. Nice. And it was, like, really bad. So you, you, she was ginger, right? You got your orange crush? Uh, no. She was, well, she, I wouldn't say she was ginger. She was more, she, uh, no, I can't. Uh <laughs> <laughs> the show at this abandoned church was for a friend's birthday party in 1962. Did you feel like you were losing your religion when you got into it. That was one of the songs that we mm-hmm. fucked to, which makes me really so uncomfortable. Now when you it think plays. back of it, you're not a shiny happy person, are you? No, no, no. no it's tough. I'm trying to no. think of more fucking REM songs. No, please keep many. going. I Let's... don't know that many. Yeah, thank God. Uh, in 1962, the Beatles performed at the Caravan Club in Liverpool as part of a special night presented by the Beatles fan club. The Beatles wore their black leather outfits for the first half of the performance for old time's sake, then changed in their, into their new suits for the second half of the show. Spiffy. Spiffy. <laughs> uh, in 1801, the first performance of Ludwig van Beethoven's Second Symphony in D, conducted by the composer in Vienna. Nice. Yeah. Uh, in 2012, Jim Marshall, who made rock and roll roarer and no- roarier and noisier by inventing the amplifier, mm. died at a hospice in London at aged 88. Damn. His amplifiers and speakers, known as Marshall Stacks, were used by Jimi Hendrix, Eric Clapton, Jimmy Page, and almost every other major rock guitarist in the 60s and 70s. And by the next generation of die. guitarists... Oh, no. The camera died? This thing is so unreliable. The camera? Whoa. Oh, no. I wonder if we lost footage. Yeah. Probably. Uh, should we restart the podcast? No, no. We're not restarting the whole podcast. I... I'm okay if we end up having a still shot as part of it. I feel bad, Aaron. You look so defeated. Yeah. What's wrong? I don't know. It's just so loose on that socket. You want right, to try another? You want to do a quick clap? That was. How the fuck did we do that? That's literally in sync. Okay. All right. Thanks, guys. I'm sorry. No worries. Uh. Sam, Sam, the not-so-good-at-tech man. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, cheap shot. Cheap shot. (laughs) It's funny because without him, we would literally just be sitting in a room talking to each other. (laughs) The two of us would not figure this shit out. We are so fucking technically inept. Yeah, thanks, Sam. Sorry, that was a cheap shot. (laughs) I feel bad. uh, (laughs) Marshall stacks were used. You know what? That was actually meaner than the the time that I ribbed Sam on the pod that was actually meaner than that <laughs> i know it was i said i felt bad dude we, like, we can't we can't lay off we can't be mean to sam yeah lay sam's off. not a serial killer no. no i don't think we lost that much footage okay good enough probably gonna be a couple minutes yeah well we'll be we'll be fine we'll deal we'll deal you know what uh i will say this i'm really glad that we have sam 
over the producer of the year is pod. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he's an actual serial killer. Really? Yeah. He has no thyroid. Oh, ouch. Mm-hmm. That would suck. At least he can't. I have hemorrhoids. At least he can't. <laughs> See, you're even better because you have more of one thing. Yeah. At least he doesn't have an overactive thyroid. Well, it's hard yeah. to have an overactive one when you need to murder people and suck their life force <laughs> because you do not have one. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> okay. Enough. All uh, right. Now we're back in. We're back in. Uh, in 1994, Kurt Cobain, the 28-year-old frontman and co-founder of Nirvana, allegedly committed suicide at his home in Seattle. I say allegedly because I've seen the documentaries. Uh, Cobain, who helped to define grunge music, formed Nirvana in 1987. The hugely influential trio recorded three albums, the most famous of which was 1993's Nevermind, uh, which included their anthem, uh, Smells Like Team Spirit. Nice. I, I... Literally had a brain fart. There. I have I'm a, so sorry. I have a fun fact for you about Nirvana. Ooh, um, they played Calgary before they got big. Really? Yeah, I'm trying to remember the name of the venue. It's forever ago. I saw this article. I read an article about it. But they played in like 1990. Wow. Yeah, it might have been 89, 89, 90. They played a small venue here in Calgary. That's cool. Um, yeah, and it was probably less than 100 people. That is really cool. Pretty fucking rad. That's yeah. what people are going to say about the vetoes one day. Maybe. You know? Maybe. That's what the people that are listening to our podcast now are going to be like, whoa. I, I saw the vetoes. Yeah. They played in Calgary. Yeah, rocking for dollars. Rocking for dollars. Ooh. That's pretty Yo, good. Actually, I, okay, so I have a Peach Pit shirt from their tour from last mm-hmm. year. And as I was wearing it the other day, I realized... That was really where the three of us reconnected. I was just about after to say university. The same thing, yeah, I mean, we I hung out with both of you guys separately. Yeah, um, but yeah, and we weren't really hung out as a group. Like we used to, kind of. We didn't. Re- I don't think we hung out together a lot in university. But I would hang out with you two you, guys like, separately. Both of I think that like because I hung out with you and I hung out with Sam both yeah. separately. Like it was never the three of us together mm-hmm. though. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of where we bonded. Yeah. Peach Pit. So thanks, Peach Pit. That was um, fun. Yeah, we smoked a doob. Okay, so in 2005, on the 11th anniversary of Nirvana frontman Kurt Cobain's suicide, his hometown of Aberdeen, Washington, adds the phrase, come as you are, to its welcome sign. Nice. Um, And then in 2011, a statue in tribute to him was uh, unveiled in his hometown. The unveiling marked the 17th anniversary of his death, which occurred on April 5th, 1994, the statue was designed by local artists Kim and Laura Malikoff and uh, was of sig- uh, signature Fender. What the fuck? Was of his signature Fender Jag Stang guitar. Okay. Uh, the concrete guitar was eight and a half feet tall and also features a ribbon with lyrics written on it from Nirvana's uh, On a Plane. It reads, One more special message to go, and then I'm done and I can go home. I Much can- better. Yeah. Than if they had included lyrics from one of the songs on Bleach. Mm. I was going to say, if they included, it's okay to eat fish, because <laughs> they don't have feelings. <laughs> Something. That's my favorite part of Batman. He's like fucking riding his horse, like, it's okay to eat fish. <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! Now the fish's perspective. Something's in my lip. Ooh. 
<laughs> this hurts so much. I'm being pulled by my neck. That just every time I think of fishing now, too, it reminds me of that Mitch Hedberg joke. It's yeah, like, about catch and release. It's like I'm gonna catch this fish. I'm not gonna kill it. I'm just gonna make it really late for something. <laughs> it's like, why are you late? I got caught. Show me the inside of your lip. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Great joke. That's a fucking yeah, solid joke. An awesome joke. Um. Okay, so side note about Nirvana. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is like something that I, I uh, found out recently. Um, so the uh, uh, precursor to Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and Nirvana were all signed by Sub Pop Records. And Nirvana only released their first album with Sub Pop. And then they fucked off. Mm. Uh, and when the... Uh, okay, so the... the uh, like. Uh, artistic manager at Sub Pop kind of knew that this ge- that Kurt Cobain was like looking to leave, so he went over and brought him three of his most valuable personal records, and they sat and listened to them. And he basically was like, "These are the reasons why you should stay with Sub Pop." And then Kurt was like, "Yeah, okay, okay." And then he left, and he he gave the- him those records. And then Kurt just fucking left anyways. <laughs> <laughs> that sucks. Yeah, so I'm that like, does well, suck. that's a that's an awful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, releases on this day in 2016, Canadian pop artist slash uh, artist. groomer yeah. uh, Drake released mm. the single "One Dance." Nice. The track reached number one in ten countries, including the U.S., and topped the U.K. singles chart for 15 consecutive weeks. Nice. I need a one dance. Got a 14 year old in my DMs. (laughs) (laughs) Stranger things have happened. (laughs) Oh, fuck. I think it would. You know, it would make more sense if it was 11 instead of 14. Yeah, but 14 worked. I don't <laughs> that's know. true. I was coming off the dome. You can't be critical. No, that's, yeah. that's such a good one, dude. Yeah. <laughs> that was a really good one. Thanks. All right, in 2015, two days after Fast uh, or Furious 7 is released in theaters, <sighs> the See You Again video featuring footage from the film debuts on uh, Facebook and Twitter. The next day, it is posted on YouTube, where it eventually breaks the record for most views previously held by Gangnam Style. Mm. Why are the worst songs the ones that get the most views? I don't know, cuz. <laughs> I, I, well, first of all, I hate Fast and Furious. Fucking come at me. Yeah, not a big fan. Not a big Tokyo Drift is good. I'll change your mind. Tokyo Drift is good. But... I think the first two movies are my favorite. Yeah, yeah. I... Dude, I saw everything up until seven, and then I was like, this looks like it's going to just be too much. Yeah, that's the point. They go to space in nine. That's fucked. Yeah, no. Um, Fast and Furious, like the shit that came out of Spencer's ass. That's that's what I think about those movies. It was fast, and it was furious. Yeah, no, I don't like those movies. Now I forgot my point. Anyways, (laughs) that song is worse than any of the movies, is what I was going to say. Yeah. That song sucks. It's okay that you forgot your point, because it's been a long day. And then fucking Wiz Khalifa was like, yeah, I wrote that song in 15 minutes. I'm like, you don't say. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, In 1974, Johnny Cash's Ragged Old Flag was released. 
Journey's Evolution was released nice. in 79, and Bowie's Black Tie White Noise in 93. Nice. All right. That's some good releases. Those are some good releases. All right. Every episode on Misfits on Vinyl. Let's get into it. We talk about an album. Yes. Sometimes it's one of our favorites. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's a popular album. Sometimes it crosses over. Yeah. This is one of those ones. I'm very excited for this one. Okay. So. We are doing. Drum roll, please. Drums, please. We are doing Super Tramps Breakfast in America. Okay, so we're going to put Sam's version here because... Uh, it's it, a nice copy. It's a nice copy. Mine, uh, I got at Value Village for literally a dollar. Yeah, it looks the like... <laughs> record works fine, but it is severely water damaged on the outside. <laughs> I was say, um, it looked like it went to Guantanamo Bay. Guantanamo Bay, yes. Yeah, it's, been, uh, it's been waterboarded. Been waterboarded. Uh, what's interesting is we found out before the pod started that uh, Sam and I have the same pressing. Nice. Uh, his is in better shape. His is more impressive. His, his, his is more impressive. You are correct, um, This is super awesome. This is a cool album. I've... Honestly, personally, I don't think I've listened to the whole album through. I obviously heard the big tracks, but it was nice to actually listen to the whole album through. Um, yeah, it was really good. Yeah, it's uh, it's honestly one of my, I would put it in like probably top 20 or tw- top yeah. 30. Um, I, uh, yeah, I think that this, this album as a whole, each song is so good. Like every song on this album could have been a single, which is pretty impressive mm-hmm. considering that, the the you know the four singles from this album were amazing and have stood the test of time. They could have picked any other four songs and made them singles, well, and they would have done. Just I think as it well. also kind of encapsulates a really unique time of rock music, and like I guess they're kind of soft rock or like mm-hmm. contemporary rock, whatever it may be. But like that late seventies sort of rock music, yeah. where you know eighties, you kind of get your it kind of spans out synth pop, hair metal. You know, that sort of thing. But this is like really quintessentially soft rock and it's really good. And it's also really impressive because this was at a time when rock was still considered pop. Mm-hmm. You know, like this is still this is still like like the, the chart toppers at the time are are, are <coughs> Pink Floyd uh, and then Donna Summers. You know, like everything kind of <laughs> fell into one category, whereas you go forward a few years and everything was really divided by genre. Well, it's also a little different than what... Sorry. <coughs> Choking on water. <laughs> no, it's okay. I hope you don't die. I hope so, too. Um, we also, are doing an April 5th episode. A lot of true. death on that day. It's true. A lot of death on that, that day. Could be me. Merle Haggard. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we didn't mention that. But anyways, um, it's... Uh, what was I going to say? It's a little different than the other rock albums that were big in the late 70s as well. Like, we've talked about Fleetwood Mac Rumors. It's kind of folk-inspired... Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not like that. It's different. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's uh. And like the sounds are like, you know, it is. It, some of the tracks are certainly timeless, but it definitely sounds like the late seventies. Oh yeah. Like you know, it's unique. The heavy saxophone, the heavy keyboards. It's yeah. It's very uh. Very seventies. Very fucking seventies. So this album was released on the 29th of March, nineteen seventy nine, through A and M. It is their sixth studio album. It's, uh, as we've talked about, it's pop, it's yacht rock, it's soft rock, it's art rock. It's a few weird combinations Mm -hmm. of things. Um, It was produced by Peter Henderson, who also produced and mixed albums for Rush and Paul McCartney. Nice. Um, Assistant engineer Leslie Bent also worked on Fleetwood Mac's Tusk and Steely Dan's Aja. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Mm, You're good good enough. Aja? Or is it? 
I don't know. Asia? Uh-huh. Well, it's A-J-A. <laughs> Aja. Aja. I think you're fine. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't really know that album. I don't either. Yeah. I was no. very confused. But, uh, Does it have reeling in the ears? Uh, yeah. If it doesn't, then it's not <laughs> yeah, the yeah, good it's one. Dirty uh, work? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, John uh, Helliwell did all of the saxophone, of which there is a ton on this mm-hmm. album. Okay. Uh, Co-frontmen Rick Davies and Roger uh, Hodgson wrote most of the songs separately, but conceived the theme for the album jointly. Tensions between the two were reportedly non-existent on this album. Engineer uh, Peter Henderson recalled, They got along fantastically well and everyone was really happy. There was a very, very good vibe, and I think everyone was really buoyed by the recordings and uh, A&M's response to them. Hodgson contested this, saying that he and Davies had increasingly different lifestyles and that he felt that Davies disliked many of the songs and only kept uh, up his, uh, kept quiet about his displeasure because he would have been voted out. And the third uh, uh, insight into this is Melody Makers journalist Harry Doherty, who offered uh, the take that during their sessions, uh, in the three days that he spent with the band, he didn't see the two of them converse once. Mm. <laughs> so few things that kind of went down with that. They just avoided each other. Which, you know what? Sometimes, if you're making great art, just do that. Mm-hmm. Don't ruin it for the fans. Yeah, I guess I guess it depends. Your but life can be miserable. It's also weird that this late 70s thing, too, a lot of feuding front men and front women. Yeah. We talked Fleetwood Mac. I mean, Pink Floyd, same sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, and then you have Super Tramp, same sort of thing. It's very interesting. There, uh, there There's, I, I think... Tensions are at an all-time high amongst all of these bands mm. for probably the same reasons. It's drugs, not understanding how to deal with the fame mm-hmm. and the success. Um, it, it's a lot of things. I, and yeah. also, record companies were, like, people were making money in music back then. Yeah. You know, so, uh, like, the money that they were making was a fuck ton, especially for the time. Well, then, you, like you said, touring <clears throat> and, like, certain drug use was not as looked down or as like problematic at the time. Yeah. I mean, that's like all the, you know, when you get to the nineties and bands are having drug problems and alcohol problems, it's sad, but in the seventies, it's cool. So there's yeah. like this weird, yeah, it's a little weird. Like the way people look back at it, it's like, Oh, the Rolling Stones, you know, like all these bands that fucking <laughs> were all fucked up on drugs in the seventies, like fucking so sweet in the nineties. It's kind of sad. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think part of it is because there was less, less musicians fucking dying in the seventies. So that that makes a huge difference because like even you get into the eighties with the hair metal uh, craze. Mm-hmm. I mean like the uh, uh, what's his name from Rat fucking died. Was it Rat or Warrant? I forget. No, no. Which one of them? But one of the two bands. I think it was the guitarist fucking mm-hmm. died after like their second album, and it was just like. It, it, like, sent a shockwave amongst all of these hair metal bands. And, yeah. you know, like, I read Nikki Six's autobiography, mm-hmm. and he talks about how, like, he overdosed twice within one year on heroin. And it took until the second time for him to, like, decide, maybe I should be sober. Yeah. You know, so it's like these guys, especially back then, I think because the lack of education that we had around a lot of these hard drugs, mm-hmm. but also because of just the culture that they were living in, it didn't really matter. Yeah, there was, like, like I was alluding to there was a lot there was a lot less um i guess judgment on heavy drug use in the 70s compared to later era so you know people 
you know, bands, they might have had lots of issues because people are on drugs. But, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal. Yeah. Yeah, they could just move on and continue on and, you know, not causing any problems. Keep calm and carry on. Yeah, exactly. All right, so the recording process for this was super interesting because the album went through two rounds of demos. The first were home demos, uh, which consisted of... Uh, the chief songwriter, either being Davies or Hodgson, singing and playing either acoustic piano or a Wurlitzer electric piano. Mm. And then the second was eight-track demos recorded at St. Com Studios in Burbank, California during, the late, uh, during late April and early May uh, in 1978. Uh, it was recorded uh, – it was in these recording demos that the band worked together uh, to get the backing track arrangements for all the songs – with the exception of Take the Long Way Home, because that was the last song that they actually wrote for the album. Interesting. Uh, and they determined the order in which they would appear on the album. Uh, in order to avoid spending a lot of time on mixing, the band and their production team devoted a week to experimenting with different sound setups until they found the perfect arrangement. This effort... Mm-hmm proved to be completely pointless (laughs) as the engineering team would end up spending more than two extremely stressful months searching for the right mix and was only finished after that length of time because the deadline had arrived, not because they felt that they were satisfied with the results. That's funny. (laughs) That's funny. Um, Okay, so the uh, album's front cover, which I would say this is maybe one of our most iconic that we've done so far. Mm, uh, Mm-hmm. That's debatable. We've done a lot of iconic albums. We've done some pretty iconic ones. I would say, like, but, like, Prince, you know, Purple Springsteen. Rain, Springsteen, and Michael Jackson. Thriller, um, Fleetwood Mac, Rumors. Yeah, but uh, Rumors and, and their their self-title look pretty similar. Yeah, but he's got the nutsack. That's true. He does yeah. have the nutsack. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's certainly, I think, I don't think, I think it's a iconic because we're fans of the band, but I don't know in the grand scheme of album covers how iconic it might be. I, I Well, it made the Rolling Stones list of top 50 albums. That's covers. pretty good. Yeah. yeah so, so maybe, uh, maybe I'm wrong on this one. So the cover resembles an overlook of Manhattan through an airplane window, and it was designed by Mike Dodd and Mick Haggerty. Uh, Mick had previously done designs for The Police and Jimi Hendrix. Nice. Uh, the image depicts Kate Murtog, who is a uh, comedian and actress from around that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was at, in like Breakfast at Tiffany's and a few other like really big movies at the time. Uh, she's dressed as a waitress named Libby uh, from a diner uh, as a Statue of Liberty, as you can see there, holding up a glass of orange juice on a small plate in one hand, uh, and then uh, and a foldable restaurant menu in the other hand. Uh, then the background features the southern tip of New York, uh, like city borough manhattan Mm -hmm. it's got all of the you know various things in a diner like the forks and and shit the plates there's boxes that make up Mm -hmm. the twin towers uh yeah uh in the uh actually what's really interesting is the boxes so in the remaster they actually took out the boxes there oh interesting yeah the twin towers are no longer there yeah with the salt and pepper you know what it is a pretty pretty creative album cover i give it to them yeah. Also, I was just joking. I was just the the they they did not actually take out those two boxes. Oh, I didn't catch what you I were saying. I just was saying because yeah. they erased it from the New York skyline. <laughs> Someone was like, "Ooh, here comes the airplane! Who <laughs> <laughs> wants oh, a scoopy?" <laughs> Some little kids like fucking eating his broccoli. Just <laughs> holy shit! Yeah, it's a pretty cool cover. 
the egg cartons and the cups and the the things. It's it's pretty fucking good. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so uh, their original concept for the album uh, was for an album of songs about the relationship and conflicting ideals between Davies and Hodgson themselves. Uh, it was to be titled "Hello Stranger," based on the lyrics from uh, uh, you know "Goodbye Stranger." Mm-hmm. Uh, and Hodgson explained, we realized that uh, a few of the songs really lent themselves to two people talking to each other and at each other. I could be putting uh, down his way of thinking and he could be challenging my way of seeing life. Uh, our ways of life are so different, but I love him. That contrast is what makes the world go round and it's what makes Super Tramp go round. His beliefs are a challenge to mine and mine are a challenge to his. Hmm. Now... This idea was scrapped in favor of an album of fun songs. <laughs> and though Davies initially wanted to keep the title Hello, a Stranger, he was convinced by Hodgson to change it to Breakfast in America. Hodgson commented later, We chose the title because it was a fun title. It suited the fun feeling of the album. Due to the title and explicit satirizing of American culture in the uh, cover and three of the songs, Gone Hollywood, Breakfast in America, and Child of Vision, many listeners interpret the album as a satire of the U.S., uh, Super Tramp's members have all insisted uh, that the repeated references to the U.S. culture are purely coincidental and that no such thematic satire was intended. Uh, I don't necessarily agree. I think mm. that it's pretty fucking... Yeah. It feels like a concept album. A little bit. And he goes on to say that Crime of the Century is misinterpreted as a concept album. I think that this one is just... It is a concept album. And he can say that it wasn't, but I think that part of that was because this was their first album to go number one in the U.S. Yeah. So you don't really want to be like, yeah, we're actually making fun of you. But, like, he was making fun of them a yeah. little bit. Most of the songs are pretty fucking... Take the Long Way Home about a guy that doesn't want to go home to his shitty wife. Mm-hmm. That's literally the whole point of the song. Mm-hmm. Wow, how many Americans did that relate to in 1979? <laughs> Usually they could be the other way around. <laughs> well, that's true. No, yeah. that would have been like 1969. Yeah, 1950s. Yeah. Yeah. But then the the wives got Prozac and then... Mm. Okay, I just made me think of those memes that have been around recently where it's like 19, like men or whatever, you know, men aren't the same anymore. And it's like men in 1930 when the wife burns the toast, and it's fucking John <laughs> oh, <no>. Cena, <laughs> like oh, no. slamming them on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, men aren't the same anymore. Holy fuck. <laughs> yeah, you don't say. Yeah. Shocking. Shocking. Um, okay, so Gone Hollywood is the opening track of Breakfast in America. It was written by Davies, and the song tells the story about a person who moves to L.A., but then finds it way more difficult, struggles, become frustrated, and ultimately gets his break, becoming the talk of the boulevard. Uh, the lyrics were originally more bleak. I don't know how, uh, but <laughs> under pressure from other band members, Davies rewrote them to be more optimistic and commercially nice. appealing. Billboard writer David Farrell felt that other than Davies' lead vocal, the song sounds like a Queen song. I <coughs> I wouldn't necessarily say Queen song. Mm. I, I think like it does sound a lot like a lot of the bands of the time, Yeah, but uh, like Gone Hollywood is just like, I don't know. It's such a fucking strong way to start the album. I don't really see it as a uh, like resembling anything specific. No, I don't know if I feel that way either. I mean, I read some of the reviews of this album too, and 
I think a lot of them are like some of the other albums we've had in like retro. Like when people look back, they're like, yeah. oh, yeah. Like the reviews at the time are kind of weird. Like yeah. some people are like, oh, the ballads on this album suck. Like there's a couple fun songs. That's not really how I think the majority of people have. It has aged really well. And Yeah. You know, so there's a lot of weird I criticism from that time so i don't know if i agree with that one either yeah and it kind of seemed weird to me because when i saw the all music rating i was genuinely a little surprised Mm -hmm. that it was it was like only an eight yeah because like we get albums that we look at and we're like okay like i can understand but then you see like a lot of the reviews for this were pretty fucking negative especially Mm -hmm. at the time Mm -hmm. um Okay, so Child of Vision is the closing track, and much like the logical song, it uses a Wurlitzer electric piano as the main instrument. After the lyrical part, the song goes into a long solo played on the grand piano alongside the original melody on the Wurlitzer. The track fades out with a short saxophone solo, and Hodgson said that the song was written to be equivalent to Gone Hollywood, looking at how Americans live, and uh, through, uh, though he confessed that he had only... A limited familiarity with U.S. culture at the time of writing it. Uh, it's weird because, like, they might have had a limited, uh, like, idea of the culture. Mm-hmm. But I feel like because that was right at the time when, like, America was, like, really having an impact, col- like, on a cultural level yeah. around the world. And they also recorded this album in, you know, Burbank, right? Yeah. So they're they're at the epicenter of where a lot of the world is getting fucking movies yeah. and shit like that at the time, right? So you're calling bullshit. Yeah, I'm calling bullshit nice. on that. Okay, I good. I don't really like this Hodgson fella. No, eh? I I don't like the cut of his jib. <laughs> good to know. <laughs> quite the uh, quite the little fuckeroo, if you ask well, me. Maybe we'll find out more about him and about the artist. Which, oddly enough, we're just getting into. Nice. I saw you scroll down. So all right. So in 1969, Stanley Sam August McGay's, a Dutch billionaire ceased providing financial support to a band called The Joint. He was disappointed with them. So he offered Swindon-born keyboardist Rick Davies, a former bandmate of Irish singer-songwriter Gilbert O'Sullivan, whose talent he felt had been bogged down by the group, an opportunity to form his own band with his financial backing. <laughs> fucking weird origin story, right? Dutch billionaire, <laughs> Dutch billionaire band. finances Irish band. Yeah, what the fuck? Uh, okay, so <laughs> the band originally included Hodgson on bass and vocals, uh, Richard Palmer on guitar and vocals, and Keith Baker on percussion. Then, uh, at the time, Davies and Hodgson had radically different backgrounds and musical inspiration. Davies was a working class and ferociously devoted blues and jazz musician, while Hodgson had gone straight from English private school to the music business and was fond of pop. Nice. Despite this, they hit it off in the auditions and began writing virtually all of their songs together, with Palmer as a third writer in the mix. Hodgson and Davies collaborated on the songwriting while Palmer composed the music, uh, like the lyrics. Um, The group originally dubbed themselves Daddy. After several months of rehearsal at a country house in West Heath, Kent, uh, they flew to Munich for a series of concerts at the mm. PN Club. Uh, one 10-minute performance of uh, All Along the Watchtower was filmed by Hero Senf, uh for Daddy Portrait, 1970, 
and the rehearsals had been less than productive with their initial repertoire consisting of only four songs. Nice. Two of which were covers. Nice. <laughs> really hammering it out. Really fucking just getting down to the fucking bones of it. The old nitty gritty. So in January of 1970, uh, Keith Baker left, and to avoid confusion with a similarly named Daddy Longlegs, at Palmer's request, the band changed its name to Supertramp, which was a moniker inspired by the autobiography of a Supertramp by William Henry Davies. Uh, in February 1970, uh, Baker was replaced by former stage actor Mi- Robert Miller, <laughs> which is weird. Again, this band, like, they have a very odd origin yeah, story. Yeah, I say, this is very strange. Um, in April 1970, Supertramp, while back in Munich, returned the favor to their friend Haro by contributing music to his next film, uh, Fergenfeer, uh, a.k.a. Purgatory, uh, and would also agree to have tracks from the first album used in a documentary extremes by Tony Klinger and Michael Lifton. Mm. Uh, now super tramp were one of the first groups to be signed to the UK branch of A&M records. And their first album super tramp was released on August 14th, 1970 in the UK and Canada. It wouldn't be issued in the U S until 77 and stylistically it was very different or, or very typical of progressive rock of the era. Now, this is where it has a really cool Canadian connection. All right, I'm ready. They became popular, like really popular, because French Canadians fucking loved them. <laughs> they were huge oh. in Montreal. <laughs> and I, I can say this with the utmost confidence. It is the one good thing that French Canadians have done. No. <laughs> See, you have this hate for the French. I know I don't have a hate mm. for the French. I have a disdain for French Canadians. Nice. <laughs> There's a difference. I, I do not I do not hate them. I don't mind them. I just think it's weird that in every single country all around the world their stop signs are written in English except in fucking French Canada where it's all in French. <laughs> I don't mind. Yeah, I think that's a lie. That is also, not a there's, lie. There's there's stop signs in Calgary that say Arret. Wait, what? Stop yeah. signs in Chinatown are in like Mandarin. Yeah, you're full of shit. I'm not full of shit. <laughs> yeah, well, not anymore. But no, I didn't <laughs> yeah, get rid yeah. of it at all. Um, no, there's literally over in Mission. There's a French. There's a French community. That all right, we're gonna cut that part. Yeah, Fucking, we're cutting that part. It also is Arret. This time we caught you in a lie. You caught me in a lie this time. I like French Canadians. Okay. We're gonna go we're gonna go back. I'll fucking do that again without the French Canadian hate. Also, you never went on your rant about fucking your streaming service. I did not, no. Yeah. Uh I'll okay. I'll I'll do that later. Did you, did you mark this time timestamp, Sam? Uh no, I'm gonna have to like go through this whole episode. <laughs> nice. <laughs> okay, one of the reasons Fun they vacation. Be- uh, one of the reasons they became a hit was their popularity in Montreal. Nice. French Canadians fucking loved the English rock band. Uh, it's the only time French Canadians have left the English. <laughs> All right. Take, take two. I fucking got it right. Okay. Uh, just... <laughs> Despite receiving a good deal of critical praise, the album did not attract a large audience. For their next album, uh, Indelibly Stamped, released in June of 71 in both the UK and the US, Frank Farrell uh, joined on the bass, keyboards, and backing vocals, while Hodgson switched to guitar and Davies served as a second lead singer. Uh, Then, uh, uh, with Palmer's departure, Hodgson and Davies wrote and composed separately. Uh, for this album and the subsequent albums. Nice. So they would basically be like, here's a song I wrote. 
and then throw it at the other one, and the other one would be like, all right, here's what we can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they didn't really like talking to each other. They just were really, really good at working together Fair like enough. that. Okay, yeah. um, so after Farrell's departure in the spring of 72, uh, 20-year-old bassist Nick South from Alex Corner's band came in for a temporary stint until Dougie Thompson from the Al- Alan Brown set <laughs> joined in July. Uh, the summer of 73... Uh, they had more auditions to replace departing Curry and Winthrop uh, started and introduced Bob C. Siebenberg, initially credited as Bob C. Benberg, uh, on drums and percussion, and another Alan Brown alumni, uh, John Hel- Hellowell, uh, who came on with saxophone and occasional keyboard and a lot of wind instruments. Nice. Uh, so they've had a fuck ton of different yeah. changes, <laughs> but then that one stayed fall. consistent through the next 10 years. Uh, meanwhile, the bond between Davies and Hodgson had began weakening. Hodgson mused, there's a very deep bond, but it's definitely mostly on musical level. Uh, when there's just the two of us playing together, there's an incredible, there's an incredible empathy. His down to earth way of writing, which is very rock and roll balances out my lighter melodic style. Uh, over the history of the band, the relationship would be amicable, but increasingly distant. Now, uh... In 1974, they had their first, like, hit uh, with Crime of the Century. Uh, It was number 38 in the U.S., number four in Britain, and number four in Canada. Nice. Uh, It made the top 100 albums in Canada three years in a row. And then after that, they they released a couple more albums. They released uh, Even in the Quietest Moments in April 77, which spawned the hit Give a Little Bit. Yeah, that's one of their biggest songs. One of their absolute biggest songs. Um, It's the only song on their Spotify in, like, their recommended song, like, most listened to songs Mm -hmm. that is not from Breakfast in America. I was going to say I noticed that as well. Which I think is really funny. Uh, And then, uh, yeah, uh, uh, fucking, yeah, there was nothing else there. Oh, cool. Sorry. <laughs> Good enough. Fucking, wow. Good enough. <laughs> uh, notable tracks and singles. Let's go. Let's go. The Logical Song, their biggest hit. It was number six on Billboard, number seven in the UK, number one in Canada, and certified gold in France. Mm-hmm. Goodbye Stranger, number 15 on the Billboard Hot 100, and it was gold in Canada. Goodbye Stranger, great song about some dude just talking to a fucking stranger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Goodbye Stranger, it's been nice. <laughs> Won't you see the paradise? <laughs> All right, Breakfast in America, number nine on the UK charts, number 62 on Billboard, Silver in the UK. Take the Long Way Home was number 10 on Billboard. It was the last song written for the album. Uh, any of these songs, though, like I said before, could have been singles. Uh, Casual Conversation is a very different sound from a lot of the album. Mm-hmm. Much, uh, much, you know, much brought down. Nervous Wreck, on the other hand. Really high energy. Yeah. Uh, and then Childish Vision, also very catchy. My God, does that song get catchy. Mm-hmm. My my favorite track on the album is Breakfast in America. Yeah. Yeah. Take a look at my mm-hmm. girlfriend. She's the only one I got. That's not uh, much of a girlfriend. That song, yeah, no, that's probably my favorite Super Tramp in general. Yeah? Mm-hmm. I fuck with that track. I would I would put that up there. Mm-hmm. I, I would I say... I fuck with that track hard. I, would, I, I honestly have a hard time picking a favorite on this album. I really do. Yeah, fair enough. I, I really do. Okay. Uh, Reception for the album. It was number one in 10 countries. It was number one on the Billboard 200, and it stayed there for six weeks. 
four times platinum in the U.S., and it sold 20 million copies worldwide. Mm. It won the Grammys for Best record uh, Recording Package, which makes sense. Yep. Album art is pretty fucking phenomenal. Uh, and Best Engineered Album Non-Classical. So Peter Henderson nice. won a fucking Grammy. Um my bunnies are just stomping like crazy. Yeah, they're going mental. Uh, it was nominated for Album of the Year alongside The Gambler by Kenny Rogers. Nice. Uh, Doobie Brothers album. Uh, Donna Summer's Bad Girl. Now, here's something super interesting. Donna Summer's Bad Girl was produced by Giorgio Marauder. Yeah, that's a throwback to and Daft Punk. it was mixed by Jurgen Coopers, <laughs> who mixed the Baltimore album. There we go. So we got a couple fucking calls in there. Giorgio by Marauder. All right, criticism. Mm, go forth. Uh, okay, so I've never said this before, but I felt like uh, the saxophone could there could have been a little less sax mm. on this album. Um, uh, yeah, I I could I could make this argument. I think that they could have chilled a little bit with the electric piano and the sax. Um, that's not to say I don't enjoy it, and I still think that it's. You know, but I I almost think that like because it's on every single track, because both of those instruments are on every single track, uh, and it's not something that they have in the rest of their discography, like where yeah. it's like very heavily noticeable. I feel like it could have been used a little bit more as a as a tool, not uh, a feature, not a yeah, yeah. That makes sense. I mean, I sometimes I have a hard time finding criticisms for albums that like I. You know, I find that sometimes we have to nitpick like little tiny things. Yeah. I mean, I'm cool with the saxophone and electric piano. It's fine. Like it, there, it is on it quite a bit, but it doesn't really bother me. Like, you know, I'm not gonna nitpick anything really on this album. Um, maybe the way the guy's holding the ham on the back of it. It it took me a while to come up with a criticism. I'm not gonna lie. Sometimes, sometimes it is when we have to find criticisms yeah. for albums that I like really, really love. It's like kind of hard to. Kind of hard. Yeah. I I would say you know the the. Uh, only other thing is uh, uh, Hodgson saying it's not a concept yeah, album. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like we're not versed musically as you <laughs> through our stories in Spencer's guitar playing. We're not great musicians. Uh, I mean, we don't look at the tech like we, we have a technical category, but we're not technically, yeah, you know, gifted people when it comes to music. We're just listeners. So sometimes it's hard to find super specific criticisms. Yeah. You know, where some some music reviewers are able to do that. That's not really us. That's not, you know, it's like, does it sound good? Yeah, we really like it. Sometimes there's a couple tracks. We tend to criticize a track or two. Yep. I can't really think of a track to criticize on this album. No. No, it's kind of tough to find a track I could say I disliked. Yeah, this album flows very well. Yeah, like it's, we don't always have, always have to have a criticism. And I also like that this is one of those albums where it, it starts and ends in the same place. Yeah. Like you start with this feeling of like, uh, kind of loss of like, like not loss in terms of like you lost someone, mm -hmm. but more so like you're at a loss of your place in the world. Yeah. And it kind of ends with a, you're always going to be there, you know, like the, the whole way. And, and it's funny that like they talk about it being a fun album and it is, but like you're really listening to it. You're like, fucking <laughs> Jesus. This is so actually, I, d I did come up with the criticism. The deluxe edition is mm -hmm. way too fucking long. Oh yeah, it's, I, it's it's like nearly two hours. Oh Jesus! Yeah, Christ. that's my only criticism. 
Yeah, that's that's. It's not even long. of the version we listen to. No, so <laughs> it's no, like the, the re-release d- deluxe edition from fucking like twenty years later. My criticism is that in the in the uh, uh, deluxe remastered edition, they did not change it to being one World Trade Center. Mm. Um, they should have had like an upside down egg carton in the one spot. That's you right. know. That's true. That's also well, true. Well, my criticism is they can't tell the fucking future. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, fuck, fuck you guys. And if they could, they would have known that uh, this was the last, their first and only big album. Yeah. Like, they've had, they had, like, decent albums before. Like, again, like, like uh, 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 Crimes of the Century is, like, decent, but it's not great. It's not like this. This is a fucking, this is a work of art. The whole thing is a work of art. Yeah, I mean, in their other works, I think they're single- they're kind of single artists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is a, they're probably their most comprehensive and complete work. Um, and it fucking slaps. I would agree. That's my, that's my, my only criticism is the remastered is fucking shitty. Yeah. The deluxe is shitty. It's too long. Not that it's shitty. It's just too long. It's just too long. Yeah. Now we get into the rating. Yeah, let's fucking do it. Every episode on Misfits on Vinyl, we rate the album based on technical, musical, lyrics, album art, reception, and does it hold up? Mm-hmm. Technical. It took them two months to to try and get it all fucking mixed. They weren't happy. And they weren't happy with it. And it still sounds really good. (laughs) I'm going to go an eight. Yeah, I'd I'd go an eight on it, too. I think that, like, it's definitely of its time. You can hear certain instruments are put a little louder than others. Musically... Uh, I, I, I'd probably go an eight as well. Yeah. I'm, I'm leaning towards an eight. Yeah. Maybe even a, a nice nine. I'd go, I'd go, you know what? I'll go, I'll go nine. So we're at eight and a half. Yeah. Uh, lyrics. Uh, I mean, they're fucking, I don't know. It's, it's, it's poetry. It's a, it's an album mm. that's full of poetry. 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 It's poetry for the ears mm. as opposed to poetry for the eyes. Mm. Um, so I would, uh, yeah, I I would go like a. I, there's a lot of repeating of of the okay, same I, words. I was about to say. I mean, they do have some poetic depth to some of their lyrics. But then there's say uh huh yeah a say uh huh mm-hmm. a say uh huh mm-hmm. ba 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 yeah. Ba 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 ba. Yeah. So I would. I'd probably. I'd probably go like six and a half. Yeah, okay. I was coming in at a six. Yeah. I'll meet you at six and a half. All right. Yeah, I mean, there is some. I wouldn't say overall this is a lyrical album. No. No, it's not. So I say six and a half. It's is a musical album. Very, very fair. I would. Uh, so we're at like seven, seven, five now. Yeah. Uh, album art, I would go really high on it. I'd mm-hmm. fucking say it's a 10. I, I really, really like this album. I'm going to go with 9.5. 9.5. Yeah. All right, so we're at like an 8.25 reception. It's pretty in the middle. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, all music gave it, uh, you know, it, the aggregate score is 8.6. Yeah. So let's keep it at an 8.5. Does it hold up? Yeah. I'd say, yeah. I think, like I said, I think the tracks certainly sound of its time, but they're still of high quality. Yeah. So we're at an 8.5 out of 10? 8.5 out of 10. I think that is perfectly fair. I think that is perfectly yeah. fair. Uh, before we go, yes, I have to do one little thing that go I have ahead. to say. So, Siobhan and I have been watching Dookie Jones and the Shits. <laughs> I don't know what that is. It's uh, Daisy Jones and the Six on Amazon. Mm. And it's based on a novel that was loosely based on Fleetwood Mac. Mm. And it's about, like, a band in the 70s with, you know, a female vocalist and all this other shit. 
Holy fuck, I don't know how some movies or shows get made on streaming services. <laughs> because it really feels to me like they take CW writers and they go, guess what? You can say fuck now. <laughs> and it's like the same character depth, the same everything, but then it's like watching a toddler trying to swear. Like, they just don't swear correctly. Mm. And I don't know if it's because the writing is so bad or if the actors also aren't good, but the performances aren't good. Mm. And... The whole fil- the whole fucking show is set like it's supposed to be a mockumentary yeah. about this like fictional band in the 70s and they're, you know, having this mockumentary done in the 90s. But all of the footage of them sitting there giving the talks in the 90s, it's like the crispest fucking documentary footage you could ever see. So I'm like, this doesn't make me feel like I'm in the 90s and mm-hmm. the other one doesn't make me feel like in the- I'm in the 70s and all the fucking <clears throat> all the fucking songs that they recorded in this show do not sound like songs from the 70s. Mm. They're highly auto-tuned, and they all sound like early 2000s pop country, like some Lone Star amazed shit. Well, I have some news for you. Um, I actually got cast in that show. Oh, you got cast? Yeah. So it's now I become the seven. Oh, fuck. Yeah. I don't even remember the name of the show, but I know there was a six. Dookie involved. Jones. Dookie Jones and the seven. <laughs> Dookie uh, Jones and the shits. <laughs> Dookie Jones and the seven. <laughs> um, I'm number seven. You're number seven. Yeah. And I say fuck like fuck. Fuck. I just don't give a fuck i've honestly been hate watching it a little bit i've been like because there's parts of it where it's like this is fun Mm. and then there's a lot of other parts where you're like why did you make that choice there's so many scenes where two characters will be standing in one room and then they just exit the room to continue the exact same fucking scene but there was no motivation for them to leave the room Mm. there's one where they're sitting in this guy's house like writing a song and then he gets up and walks outside carrying the guitar, sits down beside the pool. The person walks over and sits down, and then they continue the fucking conversation. Interesting. It's so stupid. It's so dumb. <laughs> yeah. You know, some people like that shit, though. You know, Riverdale has managed to oh. like, eight seasons. Dude, it's- So, you know... I watched about 15 minutes of Riverdale, and he fucks the teacher, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm probably done watching the show. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's not what I buy. It That's not the comic book I buy when I'm checking out for my groceries. <laughs> it's not the same shit. Um, and then, like, <laughs> it's not, though. It's like fucking everybody's slutty. Like, Who fucks like, the teacher? Archie. Wait, really? Yeah, is it Miss Grundy, right? Yeah, he, bang, he bangs by the river. Woo. And then they find a body. Yeah, spoilers. Yeah, Oh, do they? When, oh, since yeah. when did that happen? Oh, interesting. I just know Betty is like a dominatrix. Wow. Yeah, I just know that part. Nah. Yeah, they go very off the rails. Yeah, <laughs> it's not like the comic books. And I know Sabrina the Teenage Witch is involved at some oh, point. Oh, no. Yeah, there's a bit of crossover on the CW. I'm sure that's the time jump when they nice. Go back I like I like the one quote I do love is when he's like talking to like all these underprivileged fucking gangsters and he's like you don't know how hard it is you don't know the trials and tribulations of high school football it's like the ups the downs the trials and tribulations of high school football <laughs> they're all like, oh. like they're all like drug dealers have been stabbed yeah, yeah Jesus very interested Christ. yeah no it's um not a good TV show that is very cringy yeah all right Watch well watch the minks watch the minks I don't know what that is I don't either. Nice. I have to say this. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm. 
or watching, mm-hmm. please like and subscribe. Yeah, this one was fun today. <laughs> good work, buddy. Good good work. Oh, I wanted a slap. I didn't I, want a handhold. I, I wanted a handhold. And with that, we will end the podcast. Shanky, shanky, shanky. Anal contusions. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Misfits on Vinyl, hosted by Spencer Stryker and me, Aaron Walsh, and of course, produced by Sam Sam the Tech Man, Sam Lindsay. If you like us, please rate us, subscribe to us, share us. Our socials are Misfits on Vinyl Podcast on Instagram and TikTok. If you want to send us an email with any suggestions or criticisms, uh, we love that shit, so send it away. It's misfitsonvinyl at gmail.com. We love you guys. Thank you.